Hey guys, how are you guys? You're alive, that's what matters. Life is what matters. Um, so, good to see you guys this morning. Um, today is Impact Sunday. It's always a really fun Sunday, I think, for uh, all of us to kick this thing off, uh, Impact 2018. Um, so, today we're going to uh, close up the book of Joshua. And here we are at the end of this book. And I told you guys that um, whenever I decide to go Old Testament, it always takes a little bit of extra faith um, to think that you guys are going to handle it well. So you guys have handled this really well. Um, some really some tough passages, and uh, yet here we are at the end of this, of, of this book. We have seen some really amazing things in this book. Uh, we've seen a new leader emerge. They went from Moses to Joshua, and we saw the story of Rahab and the spies. We saw them cross the Jordan River into the Promised Land. They cross on dry ground. We saw the story of the fall of Jericho, a classic story in the, in the Old Testament. We saw the defeat at Ai because of the sin of Achan and what he did um, there. And then uh, last week, Elby talked about the deception of the Gibeonites, which is kind of an obscure passage. Actually, it was Megan last week, and then it was Elby the week before that. Uh, so let's give Megan and, and, and uh, LB a hand for how they handled the last couple of weeks. We appreciate them sharing with us. Now, you might ask the question, why why, why we skip so many chapters from, I think Megan, or I think LB did like 8 and 9, then we had Megan go to like 23. And uh, the reason for that is because I don't think you want to talk a lot about land allotments in the promised land. Do you? We can cover it if you want. I can go back there if you want right now. We'll cover it. Uh, but today we find ourselves in uh, chapter 24. And um, so chapter 23 and 24, right before Joshua dies, he stands before the nation and the leaders, and he gives them this charge. And before we jump into today's text, um, I want to tell you a story. There are many physical places in the world that have become special to me. And I want to show you a couple of those places uh, today. So these places are special because um, they remind me of God's faithfulness. And this first place I want to show you, um, my wife actually makes fun of me. She makes fun of how nostalgic I can be. I can go to a town that I used to live in and be like, let's go drive over here, let's go drive over here. And, and just to see the places that you remember. Um, anyone here like that? You're kind of nostalgic or sentimental um, there's like five that are willing to admit that, I think. So, uh, but I'm one of those people, and I love seeing places I used to live, places I used to hang out as a kid. And so I drove to Arlington about two weeks ago, and uh, you guys have heard me talk about this place that I used to live with a bunch of other uh, guys in college. And this was the house we all lived in. So long story short, when I was a senior in high school, I went on a mission trip, overseas, and I met this youth pastor on that trip. He said, hey, come down to Texas for a year and do an internship with us at our church. This is in Arlington, Texas. And I thought, why in the world would I do something like that? A year later, here I am in Arlington, Texas, doing an internship at a church. The plan was to stay for one year and then go back home. That was the plan. It was kind of like my little adventure, just to do something different. And, and uh, this was the house that um, the church put all the intern, all the guy interns into. And uh, so this is, um, I spent four or five years in this house all through college, and my room was the, the upper 
uh, right side. That was my room right there. Casey Burke, his room was across the hallway from me. All right, you guys know Casey Burke. And uh, so in this house, there are just so many memories locked up in this place. Um, many of the people that I've brought up here on the stage to speak to you at, at events has been people I've met in this house. Um, so many nights staying up late and just laughing and talking and goofing around. Some serious, some not so serious, right? Um, watching parades on the roof of the house. That was a lot of fun. Um, so this place has lots of memories for me. So the other day, I was driving down that area, and I decided to stop in front of this house and by myself. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to uh, take a quick photo, nothing too creepy, and um, take a quick picture of this place. And I can see college people inside the house still kind of hanging out and doing their thing, right? And, uh, um, and I just sat there and stared at the place and just thought, man, like, this is where it all began. Like, this is where... God started to call me into ministry full-time. God started to um, introduce people into my life that would forever change my life. And, um, and just this feeling of, like, gratefulness just kind of welled up. Thanking God for the church that brought me down here. Thanking God for the, ch- the, the, the church that had a house for me to live in. If it hadn't been for this place, this whole thing wouldn't have worked. I wouldn't have probably be sitting here in front of you right now doing what we're doing here. Um, and so this is a special place uh, for me. And then uh, the next place is also special. Next picture. Uh, can anyone guess why this place is special to me? Anyone guess? What's that? I propose on this bridge. Now you might ask, well, Dave, why are you taking the photo op by yourself? Well, I was in Dallas that same time frame, right, same weekend. Um, seeing an old friend, and so I said, hey, I got to show you this. It's like a mile away. Let's go to this place. I got to show you this, this place, you know. So he took the photos while I was standing on the bridge. So Courtney wasn't with me at the moment I took this picture, but she has taken many photos on that bridge uh, before. But this is a place where I proposed. And just so you guys know, the young men in the room, when you get that ring and you have it, like, on your person for the first time and you're going to go propose to your wife, like, that's the day that is a nerve-wracking experience. Because up to that point, the most expensive thing I've ever carried around is like a $40 belt. Right? And that's like my more expensive belt. And so as a guy, you're not used to carrying around this thing that costs literally thousands of dollars. So that day is a really nerve-wracking day. So you're, um, what I did is I had this, this like I, I faked this shopping trip. I was like, hey, we need to go to Dallas and go Christmas shopping. And so we go to Dallas and we go Christmas shopping. And I've got this plan to kind of get around to this one spot and then have the proposal on this bridge in a little park in Highland Park in Dallas. And, and I've got this coat on, and I'm wearing the coat the whole day, not taking it off. And I got the ring and the little box inside the little inside pocket. And, man, it is a nerve-wracking experience because when you're walking around that day and you're in these shopping malls, you're like, some dude's going to know I have a ring. He's going to hold me up with like a 45 and be like, give me the ring, you know? And that's what you feel like is going to happen. And yet you forget that once I give this to her, she's going to walk around with it in broad daylight on her hand, right? That's how it's going to go. And uh, so it's a strange, strange uh, situation. But this is the place that I propose um, to my wife on this bridge. So these are special places for me to look back on and think about. And uh, 
And, you know, whenever I think of these places, I'm reminded of God's faithfulness in my life. And I remember all these stories when I come to these kinds of places. And so we're going to see a place kind of like that for Israel uh, today, a place that's very special to them as a nation. So turn to Joshua chapter uh, 24. So the scene is Joshua has gathered the leaders, the people of Israel all around him to make a big speech. This might be like a modern-day president State of the Union address. And I know no one watches that anymore because you've got Netflix. But, um, but one day there was a time when the nation would gather around the TV and watch. They, they, out of their four channels, three would be playing the, the president address to the nation. And this was like a State of the Union address to Israel. And Joshua's gathered the nation around him to make this great speech. So he gathers, um, look at verse uh, 1, 24, verse 1. It says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. First, let's talk about the place, this place called Shechem. What is this place for Israel? After God called Abraham in the Old Testament, uh, this was the first place, Shechem was the first place that Abraham came to. And as a thanks to God, he builds an altar right there to God to express his thanks to God. So you might say this, this place called Shechem is where it all began for Abraham. Now when I say Abraham, what do you guys normally think of? What do you normally think of? You picture like Abraham, this patriarch, this great godly man, this man of faith, that's what you picture when you think of Abraham, right? But I want you to see, remind you how his family began. Look at verse 2 in this section. It says, um, it says that uh, it reminds us that his family served other gods. Abraham and his family, they were idolaters. They served other gods. And God plucks Abraham out. And he has a mission and a purpose for Abraham's life, so he plucks him out in his grace. And uh, when you think of Abraham, certain things come to mind, but Abraham had a backstory. His family had a backstory. Many of you, your families have backstories. Your mom and dad, if they were to share their stories, um, they might seem all put together and godly right now, but they have a story, many of them. And for Abraham, his story was that he was an idolater before God just plucked him out out of his grace and mercy and revealed himself to Abraham. This is a testimony of the grace of God. It's not as, Abraham, it's not as if Abraham looked down the pipeline of history and said, you know what, one day um, little kids are going to sing songs about me, and so I've got to get my act together, get it together, and so I can be known as Father Abraham, who had many sons. And I've got to get my act together. This is not what happened. God um, pursued him and plucked him out. And this is a testimony of God's grace in his life. 
before God plucks him out, he's an idol worshiper. So I want you to see, um, this is a place called Shechem. This is what it looks like today. And this is where they believe certain really important events happened um, throughout parts of Scripture. And you can see over on the, the bottom left-hand side, that's Jacob's well. They believe that's where that took place, where, where Jesus would have um, had conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well. Uh, also, there's Mount Gerizim, which, which she referred to in her discussion with Jesus when she was talking about where the Samaritans worship. And right there in the middle is what they think of as, as Shechem. And then um, you can see that the valley and the, and the uh, area here might make for a good natural amphitheater for a lot of people and for somebody to make a big speech. And it's believed this is right where um, Joshua is making this speech take place. And so not only was this where it all began for Abraham, where he sacrificed to God as a thanks for God calling him, but this was also a place of idol worship. So it's like in this moment... It's as if in this moment where Joshua is, is having this great speech in front of the nation, that this place is being reclaimed by God. This place was once full of idol worship, and now it's being reclaimed by God and his people. And so we're not going to read all of this next section um, here, but if you read it, Joshua takes them through their history. He talks about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Esau and the people going down to Egypt, and then they're coming out of Egypt, and Moses and Aaron and God bringing them up from um, Egypt into the promised land, and them wandering in the desert. And that's the, so, so Joshua details their story as a nation, as a people. And he's saying this in front of the people of Israel. Now, why does he do this? I think he wants to remind them that this, what took place in their history, this was God's power at work. This was not their power or their ability. This was God's power at work in them as a people. And I think what you and I can learn from this is that you and I fail to see God's hand in our stories. I think we fail to look back and remember and see God's hand at work in our histories and in our stories. So Joshua is trying to remind the people of their history and the power of God displayed throughout their history. And we'll see why he does this here in a moment. But this also shows us something really important, that God's pace is gradual. If you read the entire section in front of you detailing Israel's history, you will see that, that he covers a lot of history in a short amount of time. And it doesn't cover all of the details. But if you look at that history, you see God's pace is gradual. Over hundreds of years, God's been faithful to these Israelites. And it's a reminder to us that God doesn't go at our speed. These events took years, a long time. So God's pace is gradual. His faithfulness doesn't just show up immediately and you see it Obviously, uh, one writer says it this way. He says, God does what he promises, but sometimes so gradually that we don't see his faithfulness. This is frequently God's way to be faithful in little and even little by little. It might help our faith if we would, list, if we would fasten our eyes more on, the fact, more on the fact 
than the degree of God's faithfulness or its speed. We easily lose sight of what Yahweh has done by demanding too much too soon. One of the things that I try to do whenever I'm getting anxious or worried about the future is I try to remember the past. I think this is what Joshua wants the nation to do. He wants them to remember the past and reflect on it, remember it, um, and, and, and see this God who is faithful to his promises as they move into the future. As I think about my own life, um, I can, there were many instances where I just told God, here's what I want. Here's what I'm praying for. Here's what I want. And in almost every situation, God had other plans. In almost every instance, God was like, no, we're closing the door there. We're going to open up this door. I mean, the reason why I moved into that house I showed you and came to Texas in the first place was because the college I wanted to go to, God said no. Actually, the admission department said no, but it was God, you know, whole deal. It's how God works. The place I had my heart set on, God was like, the door was shut. I didn't get in. I'm like, now what? Well, I had no idea that the now what was like this whole life change trajectory. Had no idea. My, my vision was this. I want to play college soccer. That was my vision. That was my desire. That's what I was hoping for and praying for. And God's like, no, we're not going to let you do that. We're going to have you do this. So every moment when God would close the door, I look back and say, I can see his faithfulness. He had other plans. He had other plans for um, aspects of my life. And I know for you, it, it may be hard to look back on your life right now because you're still fairly young, and you don't have some long history to look back on. But the history you can look back on is you can talk to people that are a bit older than you in the faith, and they can share their histories with you. You can read this, the, the, the Bible, and see the history of God and his promises. This is why it's given to us. But as you live your life faithfully for him, you'll begin to see he's writing this story where you can look back on that story and see that God is faithful. And God um, may shut some doors, but he's got other plans, bigger plans that you can't even see right now. And so in the nation of Israel, he had plans. And it was gradual, and the pace of God is often gradual. And you can't see it in the immediate. God writes better stories than we do. He writes better stories than we do. This is why it's so important for you to live faithfully now. Because the history you're going to look back on is being written right now. So 20 years from now, you're going to look back and see God's faithfulness You either see his faithfulness or you're going to see just many regrets and mistakes and sins that you got caught up in. And so that's really the the crux of it, like where where you guys are at right now. And so Joshua's uh, speech comes to this pivotal point. Look at verse 14. It says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, 
Whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, when you see a therefore in the Bible, verse 14 starts with a therefore. It means, now because of all that I've said, because of all that I've said, fear the Lord. And this does not mean to just be afraid. This means, look at the words he says. He says, serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. This is heart level stuff. This is not about just being afraid of God and so you serve him. This is about you serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. This is a heart level thing that he's asking people to do. Serving him in this way means that you put away idols. So the, I want you to watch this. Like you catch the implication here? It, it looks like the people, this many hundreds of years later, they are still struggling with idolatry. They're still committing idolatry. In spite of all that they had seen, in spite of their history of seeing God set them free from Egypt and all the plagues and, and the crossing of the Red Sea and then the crossing of the Jordan, God letting bread come down out of heaven and, and, and God give them what they need. In spite of all that, they're still serving idols and still struggling with idolatry. Everyone, I think, is familiar with this last statement, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You may have seen that. Um, that's one of the popular Christian slogans. You'll see it on coffee mugs. You'll see it on T-shirts. You'll see it on welcome mats or placards at someone's house, right? That's the statement you see on people's houses. The only problem is we always leave out the part that comes right before it because that sounds so positive, right? Like, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But we leave out the context, which is everything else that Joshua just said. It almost sounds sarcastic, doesn't it? He says in verse 15, this strange statement, he says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, what in the world is he talking about? Why does he use that word? If it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, here's what Joshua's trying to do. He's trying to put them into this stark choice. So they recognize there's no middle ground here. Either you see serving God as good and right and holy, or you see it as bad, wrong, and evil. And I know that most of us would never put it in those kinds of terms, but Joshua is saying, no, that's really the choice that you have. That's the choice that you have. If you see it as evil, well then, go off and, and look what he says. He says, he says do you want to choose um, the idols of Abraham and your forefathers? Or do you want to choose the idols of the Amorites? There's, there's plenty of idols to choose from. Make your choice. Or will you choose to serve the God of our, the, the true God of our fathers, which is Yahweh? And so make your choice. So he's trying to put them in this predicament and push them into a corner and say, this, these are your two options. This is all you have. If we were to ask people... Um, on the street, do you think following Jesus is evil? Some might say, yeah, it is. But many would probably say, especially down here where we live, is, no, I wouldn't call it evil. I would just, it's just something I don't choose to do. But I wouldn't call it evil. 
what do you call it? Do you think it's good? Well, it's not really good either. I don't, I'm not doing it, so it's not really good, but I wouldn't call it evil. That's how most might respond, I think. But what you recognize, I think, here where we live is many of us, we want to live in this like mushy middle ground. We love the idea of, of Christianity and Jesus and salvation, but we don't really want to commit fully to it and follow him in that way where it's going to really change things in your life. And I think what Joshua was trying to do is put them into this predicament so they recognize, no, these are your options. There's no room for the mushy middle. There's no room for that. Um, you either see it as good, right, and holy, or you see it as, as bad, evil, and wrong. And you've got to make your decision, make your choice. That's really all he can put before them. He's saying if you're not going to be all in with God, then who are you going to serve? What he's really saying is that everyone serves something. Everyone worships something. I would say to any person who's here this morning or elsewhere, that if you're not, if you're not yet a follower of Christ and you say, I don't really understand this Christian thing, I don't really buy into it, um, I would say to you that, that everyone, including yourself, you are serving something. You are worshiping something. And if we were to do some digging, I would ask you questions like, okay, what makes your life matter? What, what purpose do you see in your life? What, what value do you see in life? What are the things that are driving you? Where do you seek joy, happiness? What kinds of things really, really upset you? We could get down to, to where um, there's some worship going on. And we could, we could see pretty quickly, there, there's, there's some things that are driving your life. And I would call that worship. You would not call it worship. You might call it something else, but I would say it's worship. Everyone is made to worship. And everyone serves and worships someone or something. You can't escape that. And I know most of us don't like being pushed into these kinds of opposite corners. Uh, this is either good and right or it's bad and evil. We like to live in this mushy middle. And as I began to think about um, just how this can play out in someone's life, uh, trust me, whenever I share any stories up here on the stage, I try to leave them as, as uh, unspecific as I can so that you're not thinking of names or thinking of people. Um, I'm always torn about even sharing anything like this, but um, I don't think anybody here would even know who this person is anyway. But um, several years ago, there was a girl that used to come here, and recently she reached out to me, and she's now done with college. She's out of college. And she uh, said, hey, um, you guys played a big influence in my life, in my faith, and I'm about to get married. I'd love for you to do the wedding. And so one of my things whenever I do a wedding is I meet with the couple. I usually meet with the guy first and kind of ask him all the hard questions and stuff. I didn't know who the guy was, so I wanted to meet with him first. So I met with this guy recently, and I said, well, tell me your story. He kind of shared with me his, his testimony of how he came to faith in Christ, and um, he seemed to have a fairly legit testimony. And the more I began to ask questions and kind of probe around, um, it becomes very clear that they're living together. They're sexually involved in the whole deal. And now I'm in this position as a pastor of my role as a pastor is not 
just to be a guy who does weddings. But we see our role as pastors as discipleship. And so if someone comes to me and says, here, do our wedding, I'm going to say, if you're going to invite me into that process, you're going to invite me all the way in. There's no middle ground there. And so I'm going to say some things that are going to be hard for you to hear, but I'm going to say them anyway. And so in love and out of care for these people, I say what needs to be said and say, look, the way you guys are living your relationship right now is not right and holy and good. This is, God calls this sinful. And, and, um, and all I can do is put that before you and let you kind of wrestle with that and see what God does in your life. And uh, what often happens in those situations, as happened in this situation, is they will just say, it'll be nice and say, you know, we're not really going to change how we're living. We appreciate your honesty, but we'll just go find someone else to do our wedding. And I say, okay, I understand that, but um, that saddens me, but that's what you choose to do. And this happens frequently, fairly frequently for those of us that are pastors here at this church. And what I would just say about that is this is how many of us live. We, we, we want to live in this mushy middle where we like the idea of following Jesus, but don't really want to follow him. We, we like the sentimentality of faith or a semblance of faith, but we don't want it pressing too hard against us. We want to live in this middle ground. We, we say we want Christ, but still get to do whatever we want to do. We prefer convenience rather than commitment. And I think what Joshua is trying to do in this passage is call that out of the people. And we can say today that following Jesus doesn't allow for any of that. It doesn't allow for this idea that I can have um, life as I want it in my flesh, but then also I'm going to say I'm going to follow Jesus at the same It doesn't work. I know that some of you in the room, you're, you're attempting that right now. And if not now, many of you will attempt that when you get to college. You're going you're gonna to find a way to live in that mushy middle ground where you're not really having to make the choice. You, you've got the external trappings of faith like the people here did, but your commitment is not there. or It's weak and you're living in this middle ground like the people here um, in Israel would often do. So this is the place Joshua is trying to bring these people to, to understand this is the choice. Choose this day who you will serve. And it's a choice that many of us have to wrestle with as well. And if you look at um, verses uh, 16 to 18, I'm not going to read all that, but um, it's interesting. The people, they chant somehow in unison that um, they will serve God, is what they say. But then Joshua says something strange. Look at verse 19. It says, But Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. 
Like, we don't put that verse on coffee mugs or T-shirts or in the placard of the house. Maybe put it in your kid's room. That's a good place to put that verse, in your kid's room. That won't cause them any nightmares or anything. So what does he mean they're not able to serve the Lord or that he won't forgive them? Like, it sounds counter to the gospel, doesn't it? Here's what he's getting at. He's saying you cannot serve God while hanging on to idols. Jesus said it this way. You can't serve two masters. Joshua is uh, speaking out against casual verbal commitments. Because the people, they in unison reply and say, yeah, yeah, we'll serve the Lord. And you can understand there's probably a lot of group think going on here. That this person's saying it because that person said it. And they're saying it all together like, yeah, yeah, we'll do what you tell us to do. And yet Joshua is trying to go a little bit deeper and say, look, no, no, we're not doing casual verbal commitments here. If you're going to hang on to idols, you cannot serve God. You can't serve two masters. I think many of us, we say things too easily. Yeah, I want to serve God. Or you're at some event and it's an emotional experience and you just get caught up in the emotion and you, you say that you want to do certain things. And we just, we utter it and we say it and we don't really mean it. Have we really counted the cost of what we're saying? One writer says it this way. He says, Joshua seeks to put down that blathering self-confidence that makes emotional commitments rather than shutting its mouth and counting the cost. Have you ever made a commitment out of emotion? I mean, this following Jesus thing is a really, really big deal. Like, you don't make that commitment lightly. You, you take it seriously. It's like, it's like a, a marriage. Like, you would not, I hope, take a marriage lightly. You'd have a lot of, like, counsel and thinking and, and praying and, and other people having input into your life. In that decision, it's a big, big decision. Following Jesus is the same thing. It's a big, big deal. So, um, have you ever made a commitment out of emotion? I think in Christian circles, we're always spouting off what we're going to do for God. We're going to do this, we're going to do that, we're going to do this. And Joshua was saying, just shut your mouth and do it. Shut your mouth and... And, and choose who you're going to serve. I know this is like the start of impact season. This is when that begins. Like we start impact. We start doing these things. And this is where you, some of you guys are in the room for the first time in eight months. And you're here, which is great. But I'll ask you the question, um, are, you at, are you saying to yourself, this is the year that I do it. This is the year I get serious. This is, this is when I get serious. I'm really going to follow Christ this time. I know I said that last year, but this is going to be it. You and I cannot be casual and flippant with our commitment to God. It is like a marriage. It's like a marriage. And when Joshua does this, he's not trying to drive them from God, but to God. He's trying to let them see, you know, this is what it is. Why don't you look down to verse 25, where Joshua says, or the Bible says, So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and put in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. 
So God makes a covenant with his people, and this means it's a, it's a relationship based on a promise. So God has a relationship with his people, but relationships always have rules. I know that it's not popular to say that, that relationships have rules, but they do. Um, my wife and I have a great relationship, but the relationship has rules. If I do certain things, she's going to want a divorce, and she'll be entitled to one. But relationships have rules, and the rules are there to grow and flourish the relationship. So it's not like rules are bad. It's like if, if you make rules the point, well, then you, you negate the relationship. But relationships always have rules. So God sets up rules for the people and his relationship with them. It's good for the relationship. Look down at verse 29. It says, After these things, Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old, and they buried him in his own inheritance at Timnath Sirah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh. Verse 31, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. So this whole passage here in chapter 24 is like a big marriage ceremony between Israel and God. And this generation, the good news, this generation stayed faithful. Generations afterward did not. Read the book of Judges. It's pretty horrific. But so often, I think, um, the nation failed to see God's hand in their history. And I think you and I do the same thing. This morning, I want you to hear a story of someone um, that I think she can see God's hand in her history. And I normally wouldn't put someone up in front of you um, that, that, that's this brand new to us, but there's someone that just joined our team. She's actually with the eighth graders now. I'm going to move up to, with them into high school as an intern uh, with us. Um, but this is uh, Catherine uh, Everman. Come on up. Did I say your name right? Probably butchered the name, but it'll work, right? So give her a hand for being here. And uh, I'm just going to ask her a few questions. I, I know she and I met um, maybe a month or so ago to talk about her interning with us. And she just joined our team like last week. And, and uh, when I heard her story about a month ago, I just thought, I want to have her share that story eventually. Didn't know it'd be today. But, um, but I called her and said, hey, I want you to share your story and just share how God's hand, you've seen God's hand um, in your own personal uh, story. So first of all, if you can just tell us um, where you grew up and what your younger years were like. So I'm from Colombia, Bogota. Um, obviously, they speak Spanish, so my first language is Spanish, and my second language is English. So um, I was born there. I have three siblings, that a girl and two boys, and they're younger than me. I grew up there um, just going to school and just like um, being a kid. But yeah, at the same time, there's a lot of maturity that I had to do when I was little because I have to take care of my siblings. Um, my dad was never there. Um, he was there until my youngest brother was born. And um, so I had to take care of my siblings. And my mom was a single mom of um, four kids. So it's very hard, um, especially in Colombia with the economy. Um, sometimes she will... Um, go to work. Sometimes she doesn't. 
she didn't, and she would just go out partying. So I was the one that had to feed my siblings. They had to change them and shower them. And so it was very hard, and um, I was with them. Um, just I was with my mom until I was 10 years old with my siblings, until we decided um, my mom took us to an orphanage. And so we stayed there for almost three years. And so, yeah, it was just like a lot of maturity that I have to do. And uh, into college, that finally my age had like reached my maturity because of how much I matured when I was little. So if you talk about my childhood, I did not have a childhood where I go to a park and get dirty and I worry about life and be mean to your siblings. But that was something different that I had to do. I had to be nice to my siblings and, like, be the bossy pants and so things like that. So um, so tell us how that experience I and mean, how it affected your view of God at such a young age. So over there in Colombia, the religion Catholic is very big. Um, my mom always talked about God, but we didn't care that much for Jesus and Jesus and I didn't um, really know God until I got to the orphanage because we had church on Saturdays and just they talk about God and Jesus. But I never cared um, just because um, I felt the anger against him for taking away my mom, for taking me to an orphanage that I didn't like at the time. And um, so my whole focus was how to keep my siblings together and just know that it was I was the one responsible, and I was the one to blame for the things that had happened and um so it just it was very upsetting um when I was with in Colombia into orphanage and it didn't change until I was adopted um so it was just a year a little bit over a year when um I was adopted that I decided to go and baptize. But sometimes I like to think that the first time that I gave up my life to God was the time that the second year that we were in the orphanage, we were declaring adoption, and I was very scared. And the, right, the next thing that they told us, there's four kids, and they told us, you need to think how to separate. And so that was one of the things that I was like, I did not have control of. And so... It was my sister and my brother and then me and a brother just to make sure that my younger siblings would not forget about us. And that's something that a kid shouldn't go through, you know, that decide which kid should be with you and which one. And, and the reason why is that it just, so that happened. And so I left the room and I remember crying super hard and I did not care about God again. But yeah, I remember like, just praying to God, and I was like, God, you can do whatever you want with us, but take us an adoption, leave us in the orphanage, take us back to our family, but just please keep us together. And so he, he then, we went to, we came to the United States for like um, four weeks with the family that is my family now, and it was three kids. My younger brother had to stay over there, and so um, we didn't know why. So we went back to Colombia, and we stayed there for six months. And then they told us that we were going to be adopted by them. And then a year later, they adopted my younger brother, too, even though they didn't know him. And so just to see that how faithful God was there, like, during that time. And 
that, yeah, I didn't care about him, is to show that God still cared for this little Colombian girl, you know, that didn't care about him. So it's just, it's cool to see how faithful he is. So here you have someone who, uh, you know, born in Colombia and put in an orphanage and is praying at a young age uh, for God to show himself in his power. And, uh, and God does. And uh, comes to the U.S. So your, 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 your family now is, um, is in Houston, correct? Mm-hmm. And so they live in Houston. They adopt her, all, all four of them, into their family. Um, you just started speaking English, like, what, five years ago? Yeah. Five years ago. That's pretty amazing. Um, and uh, now she's a Christ follower and wants to serve with high school students uh, and just share her life with us. And so let's thank her for sharing her story with us. You can just stay seated for a minute, if, or you can grab a seat down there if you want. Either way, it's fine. Stay, you can stay or go, either way. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your story with us. Um, but what I think really uh, stood out to me is the most amazing thing, though, is, is not just her adoption um, in the sense that we think of adoption, but her adoption by God. Adoption language is all over the Bible, and uh, it's powerful. God adopts us into his family um, once we put our faith and trust in him. And uh, so this is really what Christ is offering to you guys. Um, your history is just now being written. Hopefully you can look back on your history and see God's faithfulness in the way that I know she sees it, the way that many of us in the room see it. Um, but it really, it truly is. It's, it's, it's time for many of you to make the choice of who you're going to serve. And that's true if you're a believer or an unbeliever. If you're a believer... Maybe there's some idolatry going on in your life that you need to just confess and repent of. Um, maybe it's hard to see God's hand at work right now in a powerful way, and you're searching for it and you can't find it. If you're not a believer, um, as I said before, you're already serving and worshiping in some way, and you might as well worship the one that you're created to worship. And so um, I'm going to leave you with that, and... If any of you have things you want to discuss with uh, your leaders or myself afterwards, we're always inviting you all into those discussions and saying, if you want to know more of what it means to follow Christ and become a Christian and follow him, please find a leader to come talk to and to pray with today. Um, We're here. We're available uh, to listen to you and see where you're at. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to go ahead and wrap up because it's late, so we'll skip discussion today. Let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you for uh, this book. Thank you for the book of Joshua, how it shows the faithfulness of you to your people. And we know the greatest thing that you give each one of us is not just deliverance from earthly circumstance, but you give us deliverance from sin and death and shame and unbelief. And I pray, God, that, um, that those of us in this room that are struggling with um, those things, Father, would, would cling to you and and truly choose you over the things that um, we know are much less than. And uh, we pray for that to take place in our hearts going forward. We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, guys. um, uh, If you don't mind...